0: There is no reason why men and women can't have amazing relationships, and the problem is not the opposite sex. It's immaturity, psychological immaturity, and an unwillingness to address our own issues.
1: That's George Katsouris. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange, and you're listening to episode 44 of The Superdad Show. The true definition of a powerful man is a man who defines himself. When your goals, actions, and results come from an extension of your values and character, you become more powerful. When they don't, you create the illusion of power. Today, we are joined by the man who wrote this, George Katsouris. He is the founder of Integral Alpha, which essentially helps men to become irresistible to love and live from a place of integrity. So, without further ado, welcome to The Subad Show, George. Thank you for having me. Mate, I'd love to start with a basic definition. What does the word power mean to you in relation to being a powerful man?
0: Yeah, so that is really important and I actually take the definition from a book called The Charisma Myth and I really liked the way she defined it. I forget the author's name, Olivia something, Um, but she defined power as the perception that an individual has influence over them uh, over their environment and the people around them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I the key word there is perception, because power is a perceived thing. It and why that's important is because when we start talking about powerfulness, there is there is a separation there. There's with power, you can you can exploit it, but powerfulness you can't.
1: Look, I really love that idea of a man who defines himself clearly through his values and a strength of character. Because I know my mentor, Kim Strong, he says, you know, it's about being a well-defined family, a well-defined man, being that leader who really has truly connected into your internal values. And that's what you're teaching your kids. What are the strong values that you feel that a man needs to expressed to the world
0: i think when it comes to values that's got it like i said that's going to be defined by the man but we can look at it in terms of the good like values that that are inherently more useful that are inherently better for you and we tend to do that by looking at aristotle's virtues because the idea of like being a virtuous man Mm-hmm. is essentially to be a man of, like, character, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the virtues, uh, they're kind of these brilliant things because they're means between extreme ends. So, for instance, courage is the extreme between being fearless mm. because fearless is dangerous, right? If I go up to a cliff and I have no fear, I might step over it. It's not mm-hmm. a good idea. Um, or I might start a fight with someone <clears throat> just because I think I, I can, I'm, I'm, you know, impenetrable. Hmm. And by that same account, by being a coward, you also run that risk. So so courage is, is the means between those two extremes. So in Aristotle's sense, one of the 13 virtues would be courage, because it's an adaptive trait, and it's the best way to behave in most situations. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a time to be a coward. And that doesn't mean that there's not a time to be fearless. What it means is by being courageous, you're able to uh, walk along that spectrum, and you're more likely to behave in a way that's going to be beneficial to you, despite whatever's in front of you, whatever mm. challenges are in front of you. Mm, mm. Um, the my particular qualities, my particular values. I, I like to think of it as uh, top four values because mm. it keeps it simple, keeps it in front mm. of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I kind of look at it as a as a compass. There's a true north, a true south, a true south, west, and east. So, for me, um, it's honesty, um, transparency, uh, challenge, and expression. Mm. Those are my four values. And I, what's important when when you define these values, is not to just stop at the face term like honesty, because that is an abstract term. So you need to clearly refine what that idea of honesty is for you. So that yep. could be no matter what challenges come up in my life, um, with my partner and with my children, I'm always honest. I'm always I'm always clear, I'm always direct, I'm concise with what I need to say, and I don't mm. look back. Yep. So you need to meet you need to figure out what your values are and define that for yourself and Mm -hmm. then you need to clarify those definitions.
1: Mm. Yeah absolutely and it's an area I've been doing a lot of research into lately because um, I've been looking at what are super family values you know and I mean values are basically what your family agree are important to you and they're what you want to be and teach each other. So I've started up a podcast with my kids, and I'm three episodes in, and we have covered kindness, we've covered honesty, and we've covered awesome. respect. And the next two that we're going to cover are courage and discipline. So I just wanted, you know, five, um, you know, values that I can really unpack. So, um, you know, kindness is helping. Kindness is sharing. Kindness is being considerate. Um, you know, honesty is very much about, it's almost like the boy who cried woof, you know, it's integrity, it's it's doing what you say you're going to do and it's telling the truth even when it's hard because it's the right thing to do. And respect, we talked about respect for authority, we talked about uh, respect for ourselves, we talked about, you know, respect for our world and, and um yeah. And then I love that word courage. I think that's so important to teach kids, even if it's just the courage to try a food that maybe they've tried before and didn't like the first time. Um, and discipline, discipline is all about hard work. Discipline is about um, us being able to continue to do the hard things, even when we don't want to, because we know that there is a, uh, huge benefit to us and I uh, mm. love this whole thing about values and building a strong character. It's great. Let's keep going with my questions, mate, on this particular uh, uh, topic of, of yours about stepping into our power as men. And you say that every man is inherently powerful. It's not learnt, it's revealed. How is power revealed to us?
0: So the thing that that is stopping us from recognising that we are powerful is our own beliefs, our own traumas, our own internal issues. Mm-hmm. They're these things. They're like the breeze from our past. Mm-hmm. And it's because when you are a kid, you're not powerful. You're not, a, you're not powerful as a kid. You're, you're this um, vulnerable creature that is dependent on hopefully powerful people but often aren't powerful people mm-hmm. um, navigating you to your power. Mm -hmm. But in that process, through that experience, you may not have learned that. And instead, you may have learned to stay in that powerlessness and find ways to deal with it, which we call defense mechanisms. So when I say it's revealed, what I'm saying is as you take these layers of crap off, then you're going to recognize that you do inherently have an influence over the world you do inherently have an influence over yourself, that despite your circumstances or how you feel about yourself right now, whatever you want for your life is possible um, and you are capable of of creating that for yourself. Mm. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be straightforward. Doesn't mean it's just going to fall into your lap, but that it is possible. Mm.
1: Well, look, it's probably a really good time to, talk about some of these dads in our group who have been through the ringer when it comes to their relationship. They've had, um, you know, major fallouts with their partner, which have caused a messy separation, which then leads to the kids being used as pawns and the mother, you know, withholding those kids and them having to go to court. And so that amount of trauma and pain really makes them so wary of that next relationship. So when it comes to men who have experienced, you know, and and are feeling so many insecurities now, how can they regain that confidence to put themselves out there and try again?
0: It's not an easy thing to do. Absolutely not. And oftentimes we have to be careful because there's a propensity to try and and, and deal with the, the wounding either by some crass, Action like just going out there and meeting someone and just jumping into bed with them, or um, or just trying to get out there and prove that we're adequate, or um, or even just completely uh, withdrawing from the world. Mm. And there's a there's a period of time where you're probably going to need to withdraw. And men tend it takes, tends to take men about two to three times as long to to grieve a relationship than it does a mm. woman. And I think a part of that is. Just because of grief in general, men uh, struggle with, with with feelings of sadness, uh, with these kind of feelings. They don't know how to process these things. They often think they're weak, and so they need to. When you're in that situation, you need to do a couple of things. You need to take inventory of your relationships to look at the patterns that got you to this place. That's not because that other person. Uh, is a good person necessarily or isn't a bad person. Mm. Uh, but it's because you had some you had some role in this. And it may be that they're very similar to your caregiver. Mm. It might be that you have certain patterns that you're drawing this kind of person into your life, uh, whatever it might be. But you need to take that inventory to recognize what it is that really drew you to this person. Because mm. if you're drawn to this person out of wanting to feel significant, wanting to feel... Uh, less alone, these kind of things, those are the wrong reasons to be with someone.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: They're diversions from what really needs to happen. Mm. So you need to do that. And then you need to learn the aspects of where that relationship went wrong. Like it's so easy. The quick path is simply to make an absolute statement to be like all women are this, all relationships are this, everything is like this. And there is a sense of hurt and pain that comes with a relationship, but here's the reality of that. There's two ways to base partner selection, right? The first way is how most of us do, which is just purely passion. We feel a real strong unconscious connection for whatever reason. Mm. We're really drawn to this person. It feels like we're falling in love. And so we feel like because we can fall in love with this person, this person's right for us. That's not true. Because the other aspect of that that you need is commitment. And commitment is the process of learning that you not only have passion for each other, but you have the capacity for um, long-term compatibility. And you need both of those things for a relationship. Yep. And um, I'll give these guys a real quick cheat sheet for the four things that are absolutely necessary that they have. And that their partner has for a successful relationship. Okay? Cause mm-hmm. you can think of, there's a million and one red flags, but this will shorten it for them, mm-hmm. personal responsibility. Yeah. Does this person take personal responsibility for themselves? When they talk about their past relationships, are they always blaming the other person saying that, 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 that was the reason why it came to an end? Do they take personal responsibility for their actions? And even do they take personal responsibility for their base needs? Okay, and how that shows up as well is as the example you had where we're talking about clinginess is the difference between them thinking that it's your job to read their mind and then getting upset when you don't Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus them willing to express their needs and then work with you to figure out a way to make it work. Mm. Okay, so that's the first quality. The second quality is a sense of self-regulation, in other words, not being impulsive, okay? The more impulsive someone is because of addiction, um, psychological disorders, or even just bad habits, right? If you're meeting people, party girls, they're likely to be more impulsive, right? So you shouldn't be surprised when they're impulsive in the relationship mm-hmm. because character is habit. And if somebody's showing you who they are, that's who they are, mm. despite what you think. Um, so that's the second quality. So there's impulsiveness and personal responsibility. And the men need to look at this too, because if they're impulsive, like for instance, they get attracted to a woman and then it's like, I have to text her every day and she's the one and I've got to jump in this relationship that shows that they left that, that self-regulation.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So you've got those two things. And then the next thing is Jordan Peterson describes um, the ability to have dynamic exchange between people, you either have power games or you have negotiation. That's essentially Mm -hmm. it. So you're either a slave, a tyrant, or a negotiator. Mm. Any healthy relationship requires the willingness on both parties to find a win-win because you're either going to be the supplicator, which gives everything to the other person, or you're going to be the tyrant who expects the other person to give everything to you. Those dynamics just don't, they're not sustainable and they're not healthy. Yeah. Okay. So you need those three things and you need to look at that because again, you as a man might be the supplicator. You might be the tyrant um, or you might be the negotiator, but likely if you're in these situations, you're not a negotiator. You're probably afraid of negotiation for whatever reason. And then finally that you have similar, similar or same values because that's the compatibility element. Yep. Yeah. If these four things are apparent, you have a much greater chance of the relationship being successful. It's as simple as that. And before you worry about other people, you're dating relationship material, the thing you need to do is look at are you? Because if you fall on these categories, especially in your romantic life, we're not talking about your business because in business, you might be responsible all these things. If you fall in this area, then yes, you need to introspect, you need to look at yourself, you need to work on yourself because you're Mm -hmm. not relationship material. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Now, I know as a dad and partner, I am very much connected to this idea that I need to provide for my family and if my business isn't going well, it really affects my feeling of power. But I mean, I have experienced bankruptcy or being fired with nowhere to turn like some of the dads in our group. What's your advice to someone who has lost everything financially, had a failed business that has sent their family into a place of major financial hardship? How do they regain that power and confidence to keep going?
0: Yeah, this is where it becomes sort of contradictory advice in a way, because there's almost a need to be okay with the powerlessness to begin with, which is something when they were children, they probably weren't allowed to be. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it's this idea of like being able to admit that you're in in a state of vulnerability, mm-hmm. and like actually getting that acknowledged by the people around you, and not mm-hmm. being shamed shamed for that. Because mm-hmm. a lot of these guys probably think they need to just suck it up, shut it down, and get on with it, and keep all this pain to themselves, and that's not going to help them. Yeah, and I, I've yeah. been there, I've been there myself, not in the context you've described, but. But, yep. you know. And
1: hey, George, something that, that comes to mind, man, is we had a dad just the other week who shared that um, he was going to lose the business and the family car and and um, looked like his relationship because he had kept all of these financial um, issues a secret from his wife for so long. So when you talk about the power in vulnerability, it's comes down to that honesty with our partner through it all doesn't it
0: well it's it's that they they likely these guys likely know that that's the case but they have so much shame around it because they didn't feel like they could do that when they were kids that now doing it is very confronting and instead of facing that confrontation they're kind of hoping it's going to everything's going to work out eventually and then never have to deal with it but unfortunately that's not how it works Um, So those moments in your relationship where you're confronted with that discomfort is also a moment for you to integrate more of the parts of your shadow self that haven't been healed. Mm. And it's really challenging, but the beauty of it is if you have a really good relationship, your partner is going to give to you in that experience, something you've never had before. And it's either going to be really confronting because you, every part of you is going to want to push away from it because it's so unfamiliar or it's going to be incredibly cathartic because it's finally like you're getting something that you've always wanted but never thought you were you were entitled to and this is the thing about self-worth because this is what it's all tied to um your your self-worth is directly proportionate to the amount of to how you feel about the parts of yourself that you don't like. Your self-worth goes up, respective of how much of your negative self you accept, like the parts of yourself that you're ashamed of. It never goes up, it never goes up by trying to cover those things up, okay? This is why bodybuilders, as an example, just, you know, they tend to have body dysmorphia, because when you focus on what isn't okay, it creates a vicious pattern of what, of getting better at focusing on and recognizing more things that aren't okay. And every time that you like, for instance, think your biceps aren't big enough and you make them bigger, all you're doing is training your brain that there's more nuance and nuanced things that you cannot like about yourself until it becomes obsessive until it becomes like out of control. That's not just uh, bodybuilding. That's just in general, plastic mm, surgery mm. or any of these things. Mm. The more that you try to address the negative traits by covering them up, the more your self-worth goes down. Mm. And it just becomes like a cycle that you're chasing forever.
1: And I think that's a really good point around um, this whole thing of having a growth mindset as a super dad as well that I teach is that so much of keeping yourself happy in your own life is Also being able to give credit where credit's due for the great job you're already doing. It's not like, Oh, you know, I've, I've screwed up. I'm a, I'm a bad dad. I need to keep getting better and better and better. It's I'm actually doing a really good job here. Um, I can see that I can improve how I deal with this situation, but i 'm showing up, and i 'm really grateful that you know I have this opportunity to learn and grow with my kids so
0: yeah
1: yeah it, it really is how you choose to perceive an event and and um, give yourself credit and, and recognition where it 's due as well isn 't it
0: massively, massively, because we're, you know we were talking about courage before, the word encouragement means to evoke courage. Mm-hmm. If you're not encouraging yourself, if you're not recognizing your small wins and taking acknowledgement of what you've done, you're not, you're not cultivating courage. You're actually going to be, you're going to, you're going to see yourself as weaker than you actually are, and that's going to stop you from facing challenges because you're going to be focused on what, what you haven't been able to do mm. other than what you have. And yeah, for sure encouragement is a powerful thing especially Mm -hmm. as a father you know Mm -hmm. with little kids because what they need is they need the ability to take risks by knowing that whatever happens when they take those risks there's always a safety net to come back to yeah definitely yeah
1: so what i would love you to do is share the six levels of powerlessness with us
0: sure so I want to start by saying like, even though there's six levels, they can be entangled, they can be intertwined. Mm -hmm. But the idea of this model is just to kind of reflect on how you go about things at different stages. Um, because there's a, there's an attitude of no matter where we are, whichever stage we're at to just assume that the answer is a skill level answer. Like I just need this tactic or this technique or this, and that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Um, so the, the first level is depression and despair, essentially. And this is basically at a point where the person is, their, their life is lacking so much meaningfulness and they feel helpless and hopeless. Like the three conditions of depression seem to be low self-esteem, hopelessness, and helplessness.
1: So you mean, mean- meaninglessness? Meaninglessness, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, and
0: it's basically a point where the walls are caving in and there's a sense of like the, nothing can be done. Mm. It, it, it's truly the deepest level of power, powerlessness. Mm. It's literally a sense of being sucked into a black void and it can't be dealt with. And um, if you're at that stage, the hardest thing to do is is to just share that and let people know that but it's also the, the, the most important thing to do. Um, the other thing is to recognize that despite how you feel, because it is a very tempting feeling, is that the reason it feels like it's going to go on forever is because the amygdala doesn't have a sense of time. So it assumes that the amygdala is the part of your brain that fires off the emotion, um, it's assuming that this present moment is going to last forever and that this state of mind is going to last forever. And that's why it feels like that. But the truth is even those feelings are temporary and you won't feel that way forever. Mm-hmm. It's really important to recognize that. Um, and then we move into the, the next stage, which is victimhood. Now victimhood is really interesting because victimhood is where we just, we, we basically put the onus and the responsibility on the world around us for, for our experience and we blame and we look for um, enemies. We look for things to point the finger at and to, to look at because what we really want, what we really want more than anything in the victimhood stage is essentially to be rescued. We want the, we want the world to be different because mm-hmm. we can't do anything about our world. So at least if the world is different, then, like, our problems will change, but it doesn't happen that way. Mm -hmm. The problem and the danger of victimhood is a victimhood stage person, they can pay for coaching, they can pay for whatever they think and tell you that they didn't want to change things, but they haven't internally made the decision that they're actually going to do it. Because what they're paying for, what they're actually trying to do by getting help or buying a course or whatever they're doing is to find that rescuer, that person that's going to rescue them. Mm. And they're not ready to grieve the reality that they're going to have to rescue themselves. So that's, that's the second level. The third level is hopelessness and hopelessness is when, when there seems to be no point to go towards anything. The reason for that is because there's, there's a lack of meaning and a lack of value. And and the meaning and value aspect is because the only reason that that person is going towards goals or trying to achieve something in their life is to feel good about themselves. There's no substance to it. It's not, I want to become, uh, imbe- I want to get in better shape because I want to do this with the world. There's no intrinsic value to it. It's just an attempt to not feel a sense of inferiority. Mm-hmm. Hopelessness, robs a lot of guys because if you feel hopeless, you you can't summon courage because there's no substance. There's no bigger why. And if you don't have that bigger why and that bigger drive, you run into this like damned if you do, damned if you don't problem. You're running towards a goal because you want that goal to soothe you. But the process to getting towards that goal is painful. So you can't get soothed along the way so you're going to give up because what you're looking for is that soothing from mm-hmm. the goal, but you're mm-hmm. never going to get there because it's painful to get to a goal. So that's the next um, next stage. And then there's helplessness. And helplessness is learned helplessness. People who tend to be in that stage are people who are critical on themselves, hard on themselves, like you said, um, don't acknowledge what they've done already. Uh, and what it is is, they don 't have they have, they have a distorted sense of what they 're capable of, and they also instead of taking responsibility for themselves, they tend to compensate for that lack of personal responsibility by overly being responsible for other people mm-hmm. they want to rescue people um, they want to put everyone first above themselves they feel bad about that, and their way of having a sense of control is to be responsible for everyone else without having to actually be responsible for themselves. And that's, that's a turning point for them because Mm. the word responsibility has a real negative connotation to it. Mm -hmm. But what I like to do is shift out the word responsibility for capability or capable. I'm responsible for making money. I'm capable of making money. Then responsibility becomes an empowering thing, becomes something useful, useful, And it's true because when you start to learn that you are responsible and that that actually leads you, it's response able that you're able to respond, you do start to recognize that you have influence over the world. Um, And then the next stage is overwhelm. And overwhelm is essentially when people don't have boundaries, they don't have standards, they're always trying to chase other people's expectations and they're not communicating or setting any, any boundaries. They struggle to say yes. They struggle to say no. Um, they lack assertiveness and they get overwhelmed because they're not willing to delegate. They're Mm -hmm. not willing to decide. And they're not really willing to define, like they're not willing to set boundaries. So there's certain things that you need to delegate to say, this is someone else's. Um, there's certain things that you need to decide on because the word decision, comes from similar word as incision, right? It's the idea of cutting off other options. And much like if you had gangrene, you have to cut off the leg because otherwise it spreads. Mm. So deciding is stopping, it's stopping in action and it's stopping whatever problem you're faced with growing to an even bigger problem. So it's better to decide than not decide. And then finally, um, defining in the sense of having boundaries making them clear having standards what you'll find is people who who have a higher level of chasing other people's expectations have lower standards and what that means is your standards need to go up and your expectations need to go down so your standards are are they're they're basically the the rules or the conditions by which you define the quality of your life, like how you determine the quality of your actions in your life is your standards. Mm. Expectations is what you think should happen in the future or what you think should be done. How, like what you should act, you should act this way. You should do this. You should do that. That's all expectation based. The thing is expectation based. The danger with expectation based is everybody's expectations of you are different it's better to just figure out what your standards are because your standards are something in your control so there's so there's that shift in the overwhelm stage and then finally incapability and incapability is the simplest stage of all it's it's essentially a lack of education or a lack of experience or a lack of skill so the problem is that most people try to deal with those other stages by, with with a solution to the hmm. this incompatibility stage, and then hmm. they wonder why they don't get anywhere. And it's because you need more tools. You can't just use a hammer for everything. You know, if you have just a hammer, you think everything's a nail. It's not always a nail. Sometimes it's a screw or a bolt or whatever. Um, you need to know which stage you're at, which one is the primary, which one is the one that you're currently consumed by the most, so that you can you can address it in the most appropriate way.
1: Hmm. Do you think there's a look? Let me just say, I would love love what you've just shared with those six levels. There is so much power <laughs> in what you've just shared. There, it's it's, it's brilliant, brilliant, really great. It makes it so clear. Um, so yeah, I guess I am identifying that there's so many people who are lacking basic communication skills and that is what is causing such a major breakdown in so many of the relationships in their lives, whether it be at work, at home, you know, in their extended, their relationship with their extended family members, their friends. Um, How do we go about teaching that? I know that it's something that I am just so passionate about developing in myself this ability to teach better communication skills to my audience. Um, yeah, what? How do you go about it yourself?
0: There's a few. There's a. There's a few layers to it. One layer is that it's a. It's a habit. It's a matter of like training yourself and drilling to some degree. For instance, if you find it really hard to be vulnerable. Depending on how hard you find it, you might want to just start by writing it down. Mm-hmm. And then from there you might want to uh, imagine saying it to your, your spouse in your head or maybe saying it to a friend and then to your spouse in your head and mm-hmm. then saying it to your spouse. And then by doing that process and, tr- and training it like a muscle, mm-hmm. you're going to get better at it. But you yeah. need to get the, the one thing that is a consistent for all men is that a part of their growth is always to confront what challenges them. Like that's it's just a yeah. core component it's like mm-hmm. that thing challenges you that's where the fire is it's it's going to burn you a little bit but, but in order for you to go to that next step as the man that you can be you need to go through that fire mm-hmm. and a lot of what we do especially now and this is why i keep this is why i i kind of really focused on in on this is um there's so many men who, who aren't willing to challenge themselves. They want the comfort. They want some sort of solution where they can sit back and not have to face any rejection or, or setbacks or failure or any of this stuff. And what they don't realise is the more you step away from that, the more you you don't get burnt by the little fires along the way, one day the big fire comes along and your skin hasn't developed you know, calluses. It hasn't developed mm. the, the durability to be able to withstand that fire. And that's going to be yep. the fire that you have no choice, but to have to deal with. Mm-hmm. That's how we approach life. And that's not a good thing. So every opportunity you have to do those little fires, those little challenges, like to just nudge yourself a little bit closer to that thing that you struggle with, and then to get over that and get nudging to the next thing, is going to prepare you for one of the most crucial things that you need to learn about life, which is it's not fair, that it's uh, chaotic, and that misfortune is as much a part of life as is fortune. Mm. Life will give you a lot and it will take away a lot from you. And instead of trying to avoid that, you need to become in alignment with that. And that's something Stoics practice a lot. They used yeah. to practice, for instance, uh if everything that was important to them was taken away from them, like to meditate on that and to say like, what would I do? How would I deal with this? How bad would my life be? Because you, the, the thing that you're always facing, whether you like it or not on a mental level, physical level, emotional, um, all of these things is death. And that's what it is. Every time you're facing these fires, you're facing some sort of little death and, and man is always confronted with death it's inescapable but we've created like we've created this entire consumerist culture that's kind of you don't need to worry about this existential problem you can buy this outfit or this car (laughs) or this thing and it will soothe you and Mm. then you won't need to worry about this existential crisis but the existential crisis is there you can't escape it um the other side of that is what's called um magic thinking and it's a it's a relic of childhood because when children are small and they don't have the words or they don't have the capacity it is the caregiver who picks up on their nuances and provides them what they need but we bring that attitude into relationships where we're like you should know that I needed that or you should know that that's important to me you should know this or you should know that rather than the willingness to actually ask for what we want, to say, this this is what I need, can you do this for me? And we get into this mindset that if our partners don't express, uh, sorry, if our partners can't pick up on what we need psychically, that they don't love us. If we express it and then they do it, they're only doing it because because we told them to. They're only doing it because we said it. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to do it. And mm-hmm. that's so stupid. Because your your partner is not your parent. It is not their job to pick up on you, your coups and your passive aggressiveness and your subtle nuances. And then the reason people don't express their needs is because they hold shame around it because when their needs were expressed in some other format, maybe when they were kids, it became a traumatic experience for them. And they now have shame around it. So they literally are afraid of doing that. Mm. And that's why they didn't do it. And then, and then the top level, this is a more practical level, is I can give you a, form, a formula that's really useful. And, Please. and I'll explain it. Um, it's a really useful model uh, formula when you're in conflict, which is when you did X, so when you did X action, it made me feel Y and what I need is Z. Okay. Why that works is because partners have a tendency to just blame and, and subvert and, mm-hmm. and like, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, blah, 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 blah. And it just gets people on the back foot and defensive. But when you say, when you did this, all you're saying is an action occurred. And then when you say, um, it made me feel why, it made me feel disappointed, made me feel inadequate, whatever that person can can empathize with you because they know what that feeling's like. Mm. And now they're not attacked. And then the final, the final component, which is, um, and what I need is X, is a means in the future for there to be better, a, a better response, a better resolution for the problem. So it doesn't have to happen again. So that's a really powerful formula. And if you can communicate your issues or your conflicts in that formula, it's going to be a lot easier for people to digest it. And it's going to make it so much easier for for the problem not to reoccur. Yep. Absolutely.
1: So I'd like to know a little bit more about you and your study to get to the point that you can rattle off all this stuff so amazingly.
0: Uh, Well, my brain is just like a crazy machine that's forever thinking about these things so that's part of it but the bigger part of it was that I always the only redeeming thing I have had I had when I was growing up was my intelligence and my social skills because I come from a big Greek family and I Mm. they just happen to be incredibly socially skilled so that was always my edge but otherwise I was a late blooming redhead kid with glasses (laughs) um and I could never get the girl and that kind of led me down the path of uh, what's called pickup. And I got into that world and that kind of the, the thing about that was this actual thing, this like idea of being attractive to women or having women in your life, it's not just something that is either there or isn't. It's actually something you can, you can, you can achieve. So I got involved in that world for a while, but for whatever reason, a deeper part of me was like, the reason I want to do this is because I want to become comfortable with myself. Mm -hmm. I want to be the best version of myself. And I thought that this was the path to do that. But what happened was a few months in, I was getting some results, but I was like, "Well, hang on a second. I'm getting results. Women are liking me, but I still feel like a piece of shit. Like I still don't like myself. I'm still kind of depressed. What's going on here? And that took me on a long journey that involved me becoming a tantric teacher and learning NLP and hypnosis and seeking out all kinds of experts. And mm. I became um, mentored by different dating coaches and all these things. And I learned, I learned quickly, relatively quickly, that things weren't adding up. These guys were getting results, but I saw them outside of. The, the boot camps and I saw them outside of this stuff and their lives didn't add up with this whole dating aspect. And mm-hmm. I didn't know what what to make of that. It was a bit of dissonance at first. But then I kind of just realized that these guys don't know what they're doing. They don't know because they can get they can get laid, but they're not the kind of person I want to be and they're not the person who know has the answers to what I'm looking for. So I kind of turned over all kinds of rocks. I did gestalt therapy. I did a whole bunch of stuff. I did. I read every book. I was reading like 200 self-development books. I was, (laughs) I was driving for an hour and a half um, to go to a shopping center, just to go and talk to girls for half an hour and, and approach them. And I would spend 20 minutes of that, like, basically nauseated and and anxious and doing nothing and then 10 minutes doing it and then drive back an hour and a half because I was just determined to figure this out mm. um but anyway that all led me to finding a mentor um who happened to be in that community as well but when I met him having experienced so many others I I just knew that he he had something and I needed to learn from him so I um I really just hammered it. I need you to mentor me. I want to be mentored by you, et cetera. Uh, Who was that? His name's Stuart Helen. Okay. And um, I spent the next, uh, it was like six years, I think, working under his tutelage, working underneath him and working on my issues. Mm -hmm. And he showed me, he helped me to come to understand myself and human behavior. And see things on a level and I'd never seen before, and uh, was a massive influence in the direction that I've gone today. And yeah, so I spent those six years working with him, working on my issues. I watched him work with people. I think about a thousand hours. I put about a ten thousand
1: hours of practice in. Or as, a, as an NLP coach and hypnotherapist.
0: Yeah, so it's kind of a blend of NLP hypnotherapy dating coaching and psychology sure. and even some philosophy. So mm-hmm. it's almost like a Jeet Kune Do kind of approach <laughs> to change mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned from him and I did this for these six years and it made a massive dent on my life. Like it changed my life in a massive way. I gained confidence. Um, now I'm in, I'm in a partnership with an amazing person, been in it for five years um, and she's amazing at what she does too. And we have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. I'll bet. I'll bet very confronting, um, Mm -hmm. at like, especially early on, we triggered each other a lot, but we had the tools to work through it. And the reason that I've ended up where I've ended up is I see it as two reasons. One reason is I suffered a lot in this like decade long journey. And I turned over a lot of fucking rocks Mm. to try and find answers. There's no reason why other guys should have to go on that same journey and make the same fucking mistakes and suffer day in, day out because that's what what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I was suffering. Mm-hmm. That's part one. Part two is I ultimately, my goal was that I wanted to become unashamed to express myself and be who I am. I do not consider myself special in the sense of, I don't think I'm extraordinary good. Good looking. I'm not tall. I'm, well, let's say average in what's expected, right? But all of my all of my power, let's say, or my powerfulness, comes from the deeper stuff and really liking myself. And it's like that is what I want to be an example of, so that guys can see that that's what they can be too, that they're allowed to be that. So even with the work I do. I'm never afraid to show that I'm not perfect or that I'm vulnerable because that's power. The power is in admitting that you're not this perfect thing, that you struggle in certain ways, that you have days where you get angry or sad or whatever, and that sometimes you don't have the answers and that that's all perfectly okay. And um, if I can do that, if I can be that example so that guys don't fall into this trap of wanting to become some narcissistic sociopathic Mm. individual, then fantastic. And then the third part, the third part to all of this is, is really that my relationship has become immensely rewarding to me and there is no reason with what I know and understand about men and women and about relationships and all this, there is no reason why men and women can't have amazing relationships, healthy relationships with each other. And the problem in relationships and in dating is not the opposite sex. It's immaturity, psychological immaturity, and a lack and unwillingness to address our own issues and look towards our relationships and dating as the solution.
1: Bam. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Yep. So, George Kasouris, how can our listeners find out more information about what you have to offer? I can see so much value in what you're sharing here. I know there's a lot of dads who listen to this podcast who um, could really do with your assistance through their relationship issues and to get out there and start dating once they have really learned to love themselves. And I can see that you can coach them through that. So, yeah, how can they best get in touch with you?
0: Um, the best way is to join the free Facebook group. Um, I'm very active in there and there's a lot of uh, content in there for them as well and, and uh, I'll be happy to have them in there. So the best way to get to the, the Facebook group is probably just the Bitly link, link, which is bit.ly-integralalpha. Okay and they'll send them directly to the group. Um, I also actually have a PDF that once they join, they can get, which is how to spot relationship material women. And it's a 10-question assessment that they can use to evaluate their situation in the past, current partners, um, and also to give them a better idea of what kind of dynamic they're going to fall into with the current person that they're with. Mm. And It comes back to those things that I was saying earlier about the the four major qualities, but it kind of takes that deeper. Um, Yeah, so that's the best way for them to get in touch and uh, I'll likely, um, with your permission, I'm happy to also post some stuff in in your group and, you know, whatever I can post that might be beneficial to your group and and Mm. contribute. Well, George,
1: I'm actually launching a new membership site that... um, we have a whole component on relationships inside of there, and so I'd love to have some of these free resources and the ability for people to go deeper with you through coaching. Um, sure. So that might be something that we look at.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That would be my absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, we can we can definitely talk about talk more about that. And yeah, I'm happy to do it. I I want everyone to have amazing relationships. That's really what it comes down to. Me too, mate. Me too. <laughs> Yeah.
1: All right. Thank you very much for joining us on the Super Dads Show today, George. Uh, my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. If you love what you heard and you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com slash Online. If you are a dad and you are not part of our closed Facebook group yet where we continue these deep conversations, go across to Facebook and search for Super Dads online. You'll hear me on the next episode of the Super Dads Show with our next guest. Thanks for listening.